Don't put your bulletin away because on that hymn, uh, on that page where that hymn is, uh, there's also a poem and you'll maybe want to read along with that poem uh, when I get to that part of my message. But before so, let's turn to the reading of God's word that comes from the book of Exodus, the 33rd chapter, beginning at the 12th verse. Hear the word of God. Moses said to the Lord, See, you have said to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, if I have found favor in your sight, show me your way so that I may know you and find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go, do not carry us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight? I and your people, unless you go with us, in this way we shall be distinct. I and your people from every people on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything that you have asked, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, show me your glory, I pray. And God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you the name, the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face. For no one shall see me and live. And the Lord continues, see, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take away my hand. And you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. Mary Oliver, the great American poet who died just a couple of years ago, is one of the many poets I turn to when life gets a bit too much. Has life ever gotten to be a bit too much for you? When the shoulders feel heavy, when worry keeps you awake, when busyness distracts you from what is important? It is to Mary Oliver I often turn, or should I say the poetry of Mary Oliver, to put my life into some healthier perspective. She has a way of reminding me of what the world and my life are really about. I could read to you a dozen of her poems that illustrate this, but today I will read you one. It's called, When I Am Among the Trees. When I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, equally the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness I would almost say that they save me and daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself. 
in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches. And they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. I am so distant, Mary Oliver writes, from the hope of myself. Life does have its way, doesn't it, of ridding us of our souls, distancing us from the hope of ourselves, causing us to forget the essence of who we are, that we at the beginning of time were were called into the garden to tend it and to take in the hints of gladness from the trees, to fully participate in the glories of God which surround us and beckon us into the rhythms of creation. The 20th century French philosopher and mystic Simone Weil published early in her writing career a book called Gravity and Grace, a book I think I need to go back and read at least a dozen more times to really understand it. But the point she seems to make in this book is this, that one, we live in a world unmistakably filled with gravity. And not just the physical law of gravity that keeps our bodies pinned to the earth, but also the spiritual gravity of human life that that weighs us down, that lays heavy on our souls, that makes us discouraged about ourselves. I don't think it takes much for us to be convinced of that. Life can be heavy sometimes. Life can be worrisome. Life can be uncertain. Life can keep you awake in the middle of the night. And life can blind us from anything beyond the heaviness. It's a part of the human condition. We have minds and consciousness that can observe and take in and be quickly overwhelmed by the difficulties and tragedies of the world. For the past two weeks, we've grown greatly concerned about the Middle East and and what might become and what has already become of these warring neighbors. We look up at Washington and see paralysis and name-calling and silliness and shake our heads and say, is this the best we can do? We see the widening gap between the haves and the have-nots, the divide between parties and people, the inability to have a simple and civil conversation, and we despair and we lose hope of ourselves. We live in a world of gravity. But in this same book, Simone Weil says that not only do we live in a world of gravity, we also live in a world of grace. That that as unrelenting as the gravity can be in this life and world, just as abundant is the grace of God. The grace abounds. Grace fills the world. But grace is different. Grace is diffusive. Grace falls upon us like seed from a sower, sprinkled in moments and seconds and glances and smiles and conversations and encounters that come and go. Grace is the light that shimmers in the branches and sparkles our eyes. Grace comes when we take leave from the craziness and pressure and worry of life and walk among the trees and hear the birds and sip a cup of coffee with a friend and walk a mountain path and laugh at a good joke and find the Big Dipper up in the sky and listen to a a beautiful piano sonata or cry with a widow or receive pardon when we don't deserve it. 
For grace is in these moments when we free ourselves to imagine and feel and sense that God and God's beauty and grace and wonder are close at hand. Oh, yes, the world is full of gravity. But the world is also filled with grace, and grace comes by another way. Which may be the point, or at least one of the points behind the story we read today about Moses yearning to see the full glory of God. Last week we talked about Moses and God, whose friendship was likened to two people talking face to face, metaphorically speaking. But now Moses wants to see the real face of God. He wants this, the whole experience of God. He wants grace like gravity. God in all of God's glory in this moment. And God gently tells Moses that grace does not happen this way. That the full glory of God is too great for the human soul, the human mind, the human heart. We just can't handle the fullness of God. And so God puts Moses on a rock and says, I will pass by, I will pass by, and when my glory passes you, I will put you into the cleft of a rock, and I will cover you with my hand, and after you've passed, I will, after I've passed, I will take away my hand, and you will see my backside, but not my face. Because the best we can do is see the backside of God. The rabbis, Jeff Hunting reminded me of this, the rabbis used to say that we can see God's face. We cannot see God's face, but we can hear God's footsteps. And I guess that's another way of understanding how the grace of God works, that grace comes to us as the footsteps of God, the gentle padding of God in, in all the gracious moments and seconds and glances and smiles and conversations and encounters that come by and go through every hour and day of our lives that is easy, as heavy as the gravity of the world may fall upon us. What is ever present is a million manifestations of the footsteps of God. If we but train our eyes to see. Reminds me of the story of Jim McKay. I've shared this before. Jim McKay, the famous sports broadcaster who died several years ago, told of the fact, the astonishing fact, that this famous broadcaster who looked so calm, so cool, composed on camera, as he reported to us some of the great moments in sports history, including the hostage crisis at the 1972 Olympics in Munich, this man who seemed to have it all together on the screen suffered from a profound anxiety before the camera. He was embarrassed about his short stature and what he considered to be his below average looks. I can sympathize. <laughs> it led to a nervous breakdown when he was young. After about a year of recovery, McKay used to say that from then on, whenever he went before the camera to face the millions of people who were tuning in, watching, and listening, he would not let himself think about the millions, about the gravity, about the weight, about the anxiety. The only person he thought of was his wife. It was his only way of getting through a broadcast, pretending that the only person he was talking to was his life partner, a conversation with his beloved Margaret at the kitchen table. She was, for him, the footsteps of God. 
And doesn't it make you wonder that when Scripture invites us over and over again to be still and know that I am God and to come unto me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, or to bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, or to look at the heavens and the work of God's fingers and wonder how do we get to be a part of this incredible universe and creation, that what God is doing is that God is reminding us over and over and over again that God is quietly passing by, and though we may not see God's face, we see and hear God. God's footstep. Annie Dillard, in her great book, Pilgrim at Tinker Creek, one of my top five books. Of course, I say that about 20 books, but anyway, <laughs> muses for us about the time she spent the better part of the year, an entire year, sitting beside a simple creek outside of Roanoke, Virginia, Tinker Creek. And all she did that year was just stroll by the creek and sit and watch. Watch this tiny speck of God's creation that seemed big enough for her to inhabit God's presence. And at one point, she pauses before one section of the brook and she writes, It is sheer coincidence that my hunk of the creek is strewn with boulders. I never merited this grace that when I face upstream, I scent the virgin breath of mountains. I feel a spray of mist on my cheeks and lips. I hear a ceaseless splash and susurrus, a sound of water, not merely poured smoothly down air to fill a steady pool, but tumbling live about, over, under, around, between, through an intricate speckling of rock. It is sheer coincidence that upstream from me, the creek's bed is ridged in horizontal croppings of sandstone. I never merited this grace that when I face upstream, I see the light on the water careening towards me inevitably freely down a graded series of terraces like the balanced winged platforms of an infinite inexhaustible font. Ho, she quotes from Isaiah, if you are thirsty, come down to the water. Ho, if you are hungry, come and sit and eat. Now, it is the rare person that can sit down beside a brook and to see such ordinary and extraordinary beauty and then allow such beauty to elicit such language of praise. But the poets and the writers and the painters are here to cry out, stop and look and see the footsteps of God. Stop and look and see and hear that grace abounds and grace yearns to lift us from the burdens of the day, the gravity of the world, the anxiety of what is tomorrow. Be thou my vision, begins the old Irish hymn so beautifully played, I trust, on this most extraordinary instrument and by these most extraordinary musicians. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art thou my best thought by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my vision, for then I will see and hear and feel the footsteps of God. may have been what happened to me three or four years ago when I was going out of my mind. That may be putting it too strong, but it sure felt like the gravity of the world was heavy upon my shoulders. Ministry was crazy. I was working too much, and I realized I didn't really have a life outside of my antique Jeep, which now doesn't start, <laughs> and my Michigan football team, which is under investigation. 
So I made a New Year's resolution to find for myself a hobby, something to remind me that I was human. Long story short, I asked my lovely bride to get me a camera for Christmas, a cheap digital camera. So I got the camera, and then I asked what I should have asked long before I got the camera was, what am I going to take pictures of? <laughs> I didn't know. And then COVID hit, and I had missed the class in seminary on how to lead a church where there are no people. <laughs> and the gravity felt a bit crushing. Amanda and I live a couple miles away from the celery fields, one of the great Audubon centers in Florida and a place through which I drove, there's a sermon here, a place through which I drove over a dozen years and at which I did not stop. So one day, by God's good grace, I stopped with my camera and I began to see things I never saw before. Not things, creatures, all creatures of our God and King, mostly birds, birds I had never seen before. Of course I'd seen them but I'd never seen them. The gravity had been too great. But now grace began its sprinkle, enough drops to show how thirsty I was. So I had to go back and go back and go back. And in one of those going backs, that old Irish hymn came to mind, Be Thou My Vision, Be Thou My Vision, O Lord of my heart. Help me see, help me hear the footsteps, the flapping wings of your grace. Oh, God, that the gravity would not be so heavy. And I saw the backside of God. And I know it was him. I know it is him. And I know that grace abounds and it showers from heaven. And I never merited this grace. I never needed to. I have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light and to shine. Jim McKay had his Margaret, and I have my Amanda, and I have my birds. And you, Lord knows where and who it might be for you, the footsteps are all around. But we lift our eyes and our ears and our hearts to see and to hear the unmerited grace that yearns to lift us to the one who made us, to free us from the gravity. For you and I have come into the world to do this, to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine.